You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. Beauty is about how different shapes, different colors, different lines or objects, how they're arranged together. Humanity is varied and we are richly diverse. And we can hold our differences in relationships that are beautiful or in ways that are destructive. This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 271 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor might have to offer us today in our work of love, compassion, action, and distributive justice. Our title this week is Christmas and Liberation from Hate, and our feature text is Luke 171, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. This month for Renewed Heart Ministries annual reading course, we've chosen uh, Saving Paradise, How Christianity Traded Love of This World for Crucifixion and Empire by Rita Brock and Rebecca Parker. And in the, the section on the power that rituals of beauty have to shape us into more compassionate, safe, and just people, the authors tell uh, various stories of how they've witnessed the, the life-changing quality of of the Eucharist ritual or communion, as some traditions call it. And I was so moved when I read this particular story um, uh, that I wanted to share it with you this week. And so this is from from their book. I'll just read it to you. In the mid-1980s, a minister in a small Seattle church preached a sermon one Sunday morning about how Christians had once believed that the earth was flat, that women should be kept in their place, and that slavery was ordained by God, but they had been open to the leading of the Spirit of God. When that Spirit challenged traditional interpretations of the Bible, the church had been willing to listen to new ideas. Without openness to truth, unfolding through the guidance of the Spirit, the church would become a relic and die. The minister said that the next truth facing the church was that homosexuality was not a sin, not wrong, but one of the many ways human beings loved each other. It was a gift, therefore, of God. The elder assigned to give the first prayer at the Eucharist table that Sunday was a middle-aged woman named Violet, who dyed her hair jet black and was very careful and conscientious about preparing for her church duties. She did not like surprises and left nothing to chance. She always wrote out her prayers ahead of time. As the minister preached, Violet's face grew angrier and angrier. After the sermon, the congregation sat in shocked silence. Finally, the organist played the scheduled music, during which the elders came to the table. People stood and weakly warbled a hymn. When Violet rose for the hymn, it was not clear whether she would walk up to the chancel or out the rear door. On the last verse, Violet strode angrily to the altar, a ball of paper in her right fist. As all sat and bowed their heads, she uncrumpled the paper and sputtered her prayer through clenched teeth. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your table this morning to give thanks for the gift of life you have given to us. In partaking of this bread, we are grateful, grateful for all it represents, both earthly and spiritual nourishment given to us. We affirm that no one is stranger or alien to you, that all are welcome. Just as you welcome everyone to this table, we too must welcome all who come in faith for this 
food of life and for your presence with us at this table, we give eternal thanks. Amen. After the elements were served and the elders returned to their seats, Violet did not sit down. She picked up her purse and her coat and walked out the door. Two months later, the church board responded to the controversies by voting to affirm the minister's position. Those who wanted the minister fired left the church for the next few months, and the church struggled to survive. Not all who remained were comfortable with what the minister had preached, but they chose to stay in their church and grapple with their faith. Slowly, the church grew as gays, lesbians, bisexuals, and parents of gays and lesbians found a welcoming community. The congregation took on the character of a community of people who had stayed at the table with each other, people who were committed to being together in their differences. A few months after the board vote, Violet uh, returned to the church. When the service was over, she stopped on her way out to tell the minister that, that she had wrestled for a long time with her faith. She had finally decided that what she had written on that wad of paper and prayed to God over the communion table was what she really believed. She did not understand homosexuals and was uncomfortable with them, but her faith required her to welcome them. As she settled back into church life, she began to ask for prayers for her alcoholic son, something she had never done before. She found herself supported by her pastor and others in the church. She seemed less tense and more open, as if something deep within her had relaxed a little. Members who had previously not much cared for Violet began to reach out to her and added her son to their prayer list. Other members began to share their personal struggles with depression, with fear, addiction, and failure. The community slowly knitted itself together through bonds of honesty about their lives and their willingness to care about each other as members of one diverse community. They became a welcoming community, and they gathered around the Eucharist table as members of one another. They embraced with respect and honesty the disagreements in their midst and their efforts to understand each other and their willingness to be together in struggle, they achieved a greater openness to the diversity of the world in its heartbreaks and its goodness. And that's from uh, Brock and Parker's Saving Paradise, How Christianity Traded Love of This World for Crucifixion and Empire, page 156 through 158. And as I'm reading this December, it's our book of the month this December, so I'm rereading portions of this book. I'm I'm also reading through the Christmas narratives in, in the Gospels. And the same morning that I reread this story that I just related to you, I was also reading the prayer of Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, um, as it's written in Luke. And, and, and I was struck by the juxtaposition of his prayer with this story that we just read in Saving Paradise. And see if you catch the connections to this week. This is uh, Luke 1, 68 through 79. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to show 
shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And this passage, it, it, it speaks of redemption. Um, it, it speaks of salvation. And, and both of these, it, 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 it speaks of them in terms of, of liberation. There's nothing in this prayer of, of being thankful for being saved from either gods or, or devils. Rather, this is a prayer of gratitude for humans being redeemed or saved or liberated from other humans who hate us. And that's, that's the key. The Jewish people in Zechariah's time were a subjugated and deeply marginalized people within the Roman Empire. And their great hope was that their, their social injustice, their exploitation of the poor, their, their previous denial of justice towards the fatherless and the widows, their mistreatment of foreigners, all, all of that, which many believed they were being punished for, that these uh, social injustices would be forgiven, and that they would be liberated from the empire that was oppressing them. And this is a very different version of forgiveness and redemption that many Christians have today. Today, forgiveness is typically privatized. It's about one's individual uh, personal sins. But in Zachariah's prayer and in Violet's prayer, too, in the story, we encounter this idea of a collective shared forgiveness, a forgiveness that's shared for for social sins, not personal sins. And, and this echoes back to the collective forgiveness that the Hebrew prophets spoke about, uh, too. The, the, here's a few examples from the prophet er, uh, Jeremiah. Uh, this is Jeremiah 5, verse 1. Go up and down the streets of Jerusalem, look around and search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. Notice how it's a collective uh, forgiveness. In Jeremiah's opinion, Jeremiah is not too optimistic that that this honesty and justice would be found. Uh, it, 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 uh, uh, he goes on to talk about how empires would, would subjugate uh, the nation, but he also did see after that a future hope. One day he said after the subjugation, liberation would come. This is Jeremiah 31, 34. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. Look at the collectiveness there of both the sin and the, and the forgiveness. In Jeremiah 33, 8, it says, I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins and rebellion against me. In Jeremiah 36, 3, perhaps that when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, they will turn from their wicked ways and and I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. And Jeremiah 50, 20, In those days at that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for Israel's guilt, but there will be none. For the sins of Judah will not, but none will be found, for I will forgive the remnant that I spare. So again, there's this collectiveness to this idea of societal or social injustice, social sins, and this collective uh, forgiveness for those. And you'll find this hope for collective 
aspect of forgiveness and liberation in the other Hebrew prophets as well. In Jesus's teachings, the gospel authors, they perceived a set of values and ethics and principles in those teachings that had the potential to totally reshape human community. It had the potential to deconstruct societal domination and subjugation and to replace those harmful social forms for everyone with a more egalitarian and distributively just form of of relating to one another. And they saw Jesus, uh, uh, they saw in Jesus a path toward that hoped for libera- liberation, uh, e- even for those being marginalized in, in Jewish society. You can find an example in Matthew 11 and 19. The gospel authors, they believed that not only would Jesus's ethical teachings guide his, his fellow Jewish people's feet into the way of peace, but that they could also guide Gentile people's feet into the way of peace as well. We could learn to stop fearing and and hating one another for our differences. We could stop dominating and being subjugated by one another. We could follow, we could choose to follow a path of love, of compassion, of of as Jesus taught, mutual aid and, and resource sharing and wealth redistribution, of taking care of one another instead. And Jesus's vision, it, it was one where everyone had enough and no one had too much while someone else went without. It was an inclusive vision of of paradise on earth as it is in heaven and and our world uh, uh, as a safe home for for everyone and and it echoed the what the he the Hebrew prophet Isaiah wrote about in Isaiah thirty two seven the fruit of the righteous of that righteousness or or distributive justice the fruit of that will be peace its effect will be quietness and confidence forever so today uh, we still need saving from hate uh, we need saving from from those who hate us and or we need saving from hating someone else. Hatred can manifest as misogyny, uh, racism, or classism. In the story I we just shared earlier, uh, Violet was saved from her hatred of those that were born with a different sexual orientation than she was. Hatred can also manifest itself in hatred or fear of someone who who practices another religion all religions nonetheless they all religions include a strand of adherence who seek to shape a nonviolent, compassionate, distributively just world. Uh, we have much in common with them. And, and, and we're presently witnessing firsthand here in America our desperate need to be saved from people's deep hatred of, of foreigners, too. Beauty is about how different shapes, different colors, different lines or objects, how they're arranged together. Humanity is varied and we are richly diverse and we can hold our differences in relationships that are beautiful or in ways that are destructive. We we have a choice. Uh, I, I belong to a tradition that celebrates the holiday of Christmas each December. Uh, but this December, this holiday season, whichever holiday your tradition celebrates this time of year, celebrate this festive season 
by participating in some kind of work to end the forms of hatred that we still need to be saved from today. And for those who who do celebrate Christmas, do so in the spirit of of the Christmas carol, O Holy Night, which in the the John Sullivan Dwight version, uh, it reads, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Another world is possible. Let's respond this holiday season choosing a world where one day, regardless of race, gender, class, creed, orientation, identification, or expression, a day where all may positively affirm that they have been saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, Luke 1. 71. Happy holidays to each one of you this week. Instead of a heart group application, I have a special request. This is the time of year when most nonprofits receive the majority of their annual contributions for the year. And Renewed Heart Ministries has been in existence for over a decade now. We're going on 12 years. But over the last four years, we've gone through, as many of you have seen, we've gone through transition. We've become a a welcoming and affirming ministry. We've also become more intentional and passionate about the intersection of the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels And our work today of love, compassion, action, and justice in our larger society. It's been a time of of rebirth and rebuilding here at RHM. And we believe that as a result, we are a much healthier ministry with a a much healthier uh, focus. Yet these changes have not been for us without deep loss. We're asking you this year to help us avoid a budget shortfall for 2018 and to be able to plan for 2019. We have so many projects that are in the works for next year, and we would lead, love to see those uh, come to fruition. We'd love to be able to expand our, our online presence. We'd love to be able to expand the number of, of free teaching seminars that we conduct around the nation. And and, and an initial edit also has been completed for my upcoming book. It'll be a sequel to Finding the Father, and the title for this this second book will be Finding Jesus. And we would love to see this manuscript to be able to go through its its final stages and and on to publication for this next year. And and as many as you already know, to help Renewed Heart Ministries this year, a very generous donor has pledged to match all donations to this ministry for both this past November and this present December. So if you've been blessed this year by Renewed Heart Ministries' work, take a moment this holiday season and support our work. You can do so by going to our website at renewedheartministries.com and clicking donate, or you can mail your contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And if you would like your donation to be matched, just make sure it's postmarked by, by December 31st. Help us continue to grow this ministry in 2019 as we, together with you, we follow Jesus more deeply in the healing work of love, compassion, action, and justice for the marginalized. Thank you so much for your help in advance. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. (music) 